You're tuned to WFHB. Volunteer-powered, listener-supported. Community Radio for South Central Indiana. Good afternoon from the studios of Community Radio, 91.3 FM, reporting live for WFHB. This is Scott Weddle. And I'm Erin Wager-Miller. This is the Daily Local News for Wednesday, February 5th, 2020. Coming up in the next half hour, Rasha Kamhawi reports on a series of bills to help women, mothers, and working families in the Indiana House of Representatives. Also coming up, February marks the beginning of Black History Month. The city of Bloomington will host events throughout the month to honor the work of black leaders, visionaries, and changemakers. WFHB's Black Affairs program, Bring It On, talks to city organizers about Black History Month. Then the Senate impeachment vote, the Iowa caucus, and the State of the Union address, all falling on the same week. In the coming half hour, we'll have more on that, but first, your local headlines. Bloomington Redevelopment Commissioners approved a notice of offering for Walnut Street property, formerly Night Moves property. Director of Housing and Neighborhood Development Doris Sims said property must be offered for sale before beginning development plans. She spoke at the February 3rd meeting. As you know, um, last year, um, we put out an RFI to get proposals for developers for development of that property. We received nine proposals. Um, we whittled that down and invited four um, of those proposals to provide presentations. Um, and we are actually doing a deeper dive into those proposals. But in order to work with any developer in developing that property into affordable housing, the property has to be offered for sale. And so that's what you have before you is the notice to sell that real estate. Assistant City Attorney Larry Allen said the Switchyard Park project included Night Moves property development. He said the notice of offering amount is an average of two land appraisals. He explained the acceptance of offers. In order to accept any proposal, the minimum amount that the RDC can uh, accept on February 20th is the average of the two appraisals. Uh, Otherwise, we will have to wait 30 days, and then after that 30 days, we can negotiate Uh, to any price that's acceptable to this commission. Sims said the real estate notice for sale will include four development limitations. Property bids will open on February 20th at 5 p.m. Six students studying in China as part of Indiana University's flagship capstone program were told to head back to Bloomington in the wake of the coronavirus spreading rapidly across China. Ye Fan Chen, director of the Chinese flagship center at IU, was notified by the National Security Education Program for the students to swiftly return. Last Tuesday at 5.30 p.m., and I received a message from NZEP notifying all the flagship directors, Chinese flagship directors, that um, NZEP is requiring all the students who were in China to be back to the United States by February 5th. Chen said students ordered back to Bloomington already completed the first part of their program and their next step, which was brought to a halt, was to complete their internships in China. We had uh, six students attending 19 University, the 19th Center, uh, for their capstone year. 
this is the this academic year is the last stage of voting to complete the Chinese flagship program, and they already finished their direct enrollment, which they took courses with um, the university students in Nanjing and Nanjing University in their own field, and they were about to start their internship. But the Nanjing University said they will uh, find a way to collect the stuff for our students. And also the national flagship or NSAT say uh, student uh, travel expenses will be covered. Chen said she was disappointed in local media coverage, which reported the flagship program is on temporary hiatus. Many portions of the program are still in place, and she said one student in Taiwan is still working on the program. The flagship program, we currently have currently have about 70 students, and only seven students are in the phase, the phase of capstone, so do you know? Uh, so they, the, so the capstone is the, the last year, last phase of the program. And they, they go to students, go to China or Taiwan to complete last day, the last stage, okay? But about 60-some students are on campus. So our program, the Chinese flagship, is still in operation. Just the students who were in China attending the Nanjing program, had to return. And actually, we have one student in Taiwan, and the program isn't affected. Yeah, this is, this is when media say uh, the flagship uh, program is being on hold, but actually there are uh, many elements of the flagship program, right, the Chinese flagship program, and most of the students are on campus. We are preparing them for their capstone. So, uh, we, yeah, so that part is still going and then uh, just the, the overseas side. Yeah, just only this, the virus uh, affect, affected the students who were in China. And, but also, we don't know. If it's still going on to the summer, then our, the students who, were, who are going to study abroad may get affected too. She said the program's trying to allow students to finish the remainder of their stay in the coming months. Now, there have been over 17,000 reports of the coronavirus in at least two dozen countries. There's been at least 350 reported deaths from the virus, all of them but one taking place in China. That's according to the Center for Disease Control. The U.S. Department of Housing and Urban Development is awarding nearly $1.7 million to several homeless programs in Bloomington. According to an article from Indiana Public Media written last week, 10 homeless programs will be given a federal grant by the Housing Department. They are part of 89 homeless programs in Indiana being given grants by the department. In particular, Centerstone, Indiana, Indiana University Health Bloomington, and the Shalom Community Center are being given renewal grants for their contributions to fighting homelessness. Housing Department officials say that local agencies brought down homelessness in Indiana by 15% in the last 10 years. Indiana Senator Karen Tallian sponsored a bill dealing with marijuana and THC penalties. Her bill would, quote, reduce the penalty for the possession of marijuana, hashish, hash oil, and salvia, end quote. The proposed amendment would end jail sentencing for small amounts of marijuana. However, rules non-germane, according to the... However, rules non-germane according to the Senate Democratic Media Office. The U.S. Senate glossary defines non-germane amendment as adding new points of matter to the proposed bill. Talian expressed a point of personal privilege, saying, quote, 
Our surrounding states have moved forward on the issue of marijuana, either by allowing medical use, stopping arrests, or fully legalizing the plant. Once again, Indiana Republican legislators dodged the clear will of 78% of Hoosiers, end quote. Utilities engineer Jane Fleeg recommended approval of Reynolds Construction for the I-69 relocation project. Fleeg spoke of bid offers during the February 3rd Bloomington Utilities Service Board meeting. Uh, the resolution uh, indicates that we opened bids on this on January 21st. Um, we had four bids that were open and read aloud. The bids have all been reviewed by our engineer and our staff. And uh, we are recommending that um, we believe that uh, Reynolds Construction of Indiana is, is the most responsive and responsible. And we recommend that, that uh, the award be made to Reynolds for the base bid as well as mandatory bid alternate number two and mandatory bid alternate number three. So we are requesting your permission for that. Fleek said lining PVC pipe under Bloomfield Road was not accepted under alternative bid one. She said lining is not cost effective. Board members approved the recommendation. Fleek said a contract approval will be requested in two weeks. Range Road was changed to Discovery Parkway. The renamed strip of the road serves as the main access drive for the new hospital. Deputy Mayor Mick Renison said IU health leaders Hope the new name captivates the hospital's future. The road will inspire new thought towards medical services and treatments. Discovery Parkway is expected to see intersection construction in February and conclude in the summer of this year. The intersection will include a stoplight at the newly named Discovery Pathway and the bypass. No full road closures are projected. The new IU Health Hospital is expected to be completed in July of 2021. February is Teen Dating Violence Awareness Month. The National Institute of Justice defines teen dating violence as, quote, physical, psychological, or sexual abuse, harassment, or stalking of any person ages 12 to 18 in the context of a past or present romantic or consensual relationship, end quote. According to a study by Ball State, 57% of school principals have assisted teen violence survivors within the last two years. However, only 27% of principals took disciplinary action against teen dating violence predators. In a press release, Ball State College of Health professors Jugdish Hopchindawi said, quote, school principals also perceive that dating violence is a minor issue and we are not here to deal with dating problems, end quote. He also mentioned principals reporting a shortage of faculty with sufficient dating violence training. Many school principals have never been provided with formal education and training on the issue. The study says, quote, the majority of school principals could not answer four out of nine knowledge questions related to teen dating violence, end quote. It is believed school counselors deal with the majority of teen dating violence issues. Most teenage students are not provided with readily available information about teen dating violence, and according to the National Institute of Justice, the negative effects of teen dating violence can manifest into physical symptoms following into an adolescent's adulthood. NIJ emphasizes the importance of school-based involvement. Future Without Violence encourages open, honest, and thoughtful parent discussions with adolescents exploring relationships. 
The Senate vote on impeachment, the State of the Union address, and the Iowa caucus all happening this week. And WFHB correspondent Alex Dieterer reports on the state of our union during a contentious week. It has been a busy week in the world of politics with the collision of the impeachment trial, the Iowa caucus, and President Trump's State of the Union address delivered just last night. Last night, the House chamber was split down the middle as President Trump delivered his State of the Union address, sandwiched between the Monday confusion of the Iowa caucus and the impeachment trial vote later today on whether Trump will be removed from office. In the address, Trump spoke of his political base, which included restricting abortion access, controlling immigration, and appointing conservative judges. Just seven weeks ago, in the same House chamber, House Democrats voted to impeach Trump on two articles for impeachment, abuse of power and obstruction of Congress. He did not mention anything about the impeachment trial in his address. There appeared to be obvious tension between President Trump and Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi. As Trump handed Pelosi and Vice President Mike Pence copies of the address, Pelosi extended her hand to Trump for a handshake, which he did not take. At the end of the address, Pelosi ripped up her copy of the speech. Depending upon the Senate vote later today, Trump will likely become the first impeached president to run for re-election. On Monday, House Democrats and President Trump's defense team made their final arguments before the Senate votes whether to remove Trump from office later today. Senators will take a formal vote on the two articles for impeachment. Acquittal of Trump is nearly guaranteed with the need of 20% of the Republican senators to join the Democratic caucus to vote against the president. Monday's session followed last Friday's vote to block witnesses and the introduction of new evidence into the trial. Also on Monday, the Iowa caucuses reported only 62% of results that night from the nearly 1,700 caucus-goers across the state due to what Iowa Democrats call, quote, inconsistencies, end quote. According to 538, as of this morning, 71% of precincts are reporting at least some results. The final realignment vote, which is the nearly 15% of the voters at a caucus site who did not meet the threshold and are allowed to switch to another candidate, currently has Bernie Sanders leading South Bend's own Pete Buttigieg 26 to 25 percent of the popular vote. While the state delegate equivalents count has Buttigieg leading Sanders 27 to 25 percent. The state delegates equivalent count determines the number of Iowa Democratic National Convention delegates a candidate receives. Tuesday night, with a little over half the caucus results reported, Buttigieg declared victory while on the road to New Hampshire. According to the Indy Star, Buttigieg stated, quote, so we don't know all the results, but we know by the time all is said and done, Iowa, you have shocked the nation. Because by all indications, we are going on to New Hampshire victorious. End quote. If he does win, Buttigieg will be making history by being the first openly gay candidate to win a presidential caucus or a primary. For WFHB, I'm Alex Dieterer. That was Alex Dieterer reporting on the impeachment trial, the Iowa caucus, and the State of the Union address all in the same week. The story was reported earlier in the day before the Senate vote, which took place at 4 p.m. The president was acquitted from being removed from office on both articles of impeachment, which included abuse of power and obstruction of Congress. Senator Mitt Romney of Utah was the only Republican to break ranks with his party on abuse of power. February is Black History Month, and the city has various events planned to commemorate the historic month, and WFHB's Black Affairs Program bring it on. Talk to city organizers about Black History Month events here in Bloomington. February marks Black History Month. We have an excerpt from WFHB's Black Affairs Program, Bring It On. I encourage everyone and anyone listening to get out 
learn about our culture, take part, uh, enjoy. Uh, there are a lot of opportunities for participation, audience participation. And with that, we're going to sort of dive right in. We have a sort of a multitude of things to talk yes. about. We'll lead off with the city. James, give us your intro, um, your acceptance, I mean, your, your, your talk about <laughs> that, and we'll see what's going on. Well, good evening. Thanks again for having us. Um, uh, like you mentioned, I am the uh, the chair for the Dr. Martin Luther King um, Birthday Celebration Commission, and um, I'm also on the um, committee for Black History Month events um, for the city of Bloomington. And uh, I hope you all got a chance to come out to our kickoff that we held on January 30th. Um, it was really awesome. We had a, a, a very great speaker um, when I went to school with uh, at Tennessee State University, uh, HBCU, um, and he spoke on the topic of Black and Blooming, and that's our theme for the, for the month. Last Thursday, the city of Bloomington held the 16th annual Black History Month kickoff. Here is an excerpt from speaker William Hosea. February marks the celebration of Black History Month. As we ring in the start of February, February, which actually starts tomorrow, we're looking forward to a month of community events and celebrations. The theme of this year's Black History Month observance is Black and Blooming. This month's events will seek to acknowledge the up-and-coming black leaders, visionaries, and change makers who are blazing trails and leaving their mark on our city, state, and the country. Whether Bloomington natives or transplants by way of educational journeys and careers, these people have strived to bloom where we are planted and positively influence a community. Next up, Dr. Gloria Howell gave an opening speech on the Black History Month kickoff on racial injustice. I am elated to stand before you tonight as we honor and celebrate the contributions of brilliant, beautiful black people all over the world. I hope that we take moments to reflect and acknowledge the spirit of those who came before us. To the ancestors, we are grateful for your sacrifices, persistence, and resilience that brought us to where we are today. In a country where black people were once enslaved, barred from receiving an education, prevented from voting, we've seen, we have seen several things to get a little bit better However, we know that there are too many injustices that remain that must be changed. From housing to healthcare, elections to education, police brutality, and prison reform. As we spend Black History Month looking back on our ancestors' inspiring legacy, I encourage us to seek their guidance, the guidance of our ancestors. I ask for their courage to face the challenges to come, wisdom to discern the correct path towards achieving equity, I ask them for hope that the injustices we still battle will one day be torn down and strength to never give up our fight for freedom. This Black History Month, I urge each of us to think deeply about what we can do to improve ourselves and our communities so that we may soon fully realize that we are definitely our ancestors' wildest dreams. Thank you.
On WFHB's Bring It On, Clarence Boone interviewed Dr. Melina Abdullah, who spoke at the city's MLK Day event at the Buskirk Chumley. Abdullah played a big role in organizing Black Lives Matter, and she is a womanist scholar activist based in Los Angeles, California. Here is a segment of her interview on Bring It On. When George Zimmerman was acquitted in the murder of Trayvon Martin on July 13th, 2013, Los Angeles, like a lot of other cities, exploded. And we just engaged in what people call intuitive organizing. We flooded the streets. And for three days, we were in the streets, part of an ongoing struggle. And on the third day, um, our co-founder Patrice Cullors sent out a text to a bunch of different organizers and it came to me um, and I was in the streets with many of my students and my children and um, it invited us to gather and so we gathered that evening and um, began to process what it means to build a movement not a moment and that night that's what we pledged to do build a movement not a moment now i no one could have anticipated that it would become a global movement on the scale that it was um but we knew it was something special even that night um and from that it flourished and blossomed and it went cross country uh with the help of course with national media and uh, well placed interviews with uh talking heads, if you will, <laughs> and then making uh, bold statements and, and having great progress uh, with the movement. I'm just curious about the structure, the organization of Black Lives Matter. Uh, is this sort of nationally, nationally structured where there are chapters of Black Lives uh, Matter? Yeah, so we're a global network um, made up of semi-autonomous chapters who are bound together by a set of guiding principles. So if anybody wants to go to blacklivesmatter.com, you can click on chapters and you'll see the list of official chapters, right? And so in Indiana, we have an official chapter that's emerging in South Bend. Um, many people are familiar with the work that they're doing of following Pete Buttigieg all around the country and lifting the name of Eric Logan lifting the name of Anthony Young, the houseless brother who recently died of exposure. Um, and Eric Logan was murdered by South Bend police. Um, but there's also, we recognize Black Lives Matter is also a movement beyond the network. And so um, there are people who have just gathered themselves under the banner of Black Lives Matter. Um, and sometimes they're in line with our... Um, guiding principles, and sometimes they develop their own um, agendas. That was an excerpt from Dr. Melina Abdullah, a Pinnacle member in the founding of Black Lives Matter. Up next, a group of bills were introduced in the Indiana legislature focusing on women, mothers, and working families. Rasha Kamhawe presents some of those bills. While the Equal Pay Act has been law for almost 60 years, the National Women's Law Center states women continue to be paid less than men for the same work. The pay gap translates into thousands of dollars per year. According to a study by the American Association of University Women, in Indiana, women earn 25% less than what men earn, doing the same work. Indiana ranked 49th nationally in gender pay gap three years ago. 
At the top of the list of legislation introduced in the Indiana House of Representatives by Democratic women is House Bill 1034, which is an effort to update and strengthen equal pay law in Indiana. The Equal Pay Bill would allow employees to disclose, compare, and discuss their wages. The bill's author, Carolyn Jackson of Hammond, Indiana, says that on average, women are paid $13,000 a year less than their male colleagues doing the same work. Another bill, House Bill 1248, gives expectant mothers a security blanket during their pregnancy and postpartum. Representative Vanessa Summers of Indianapolis introduced the bill. It would enroll eligible women in Medicaid for the duration of their pregnancy and until one year after giving birth. The mother's ability to receive aid would not change if changes in household income occur during the coverage period. House Bill 1355 empowers victims of abusive relations to leave their spouses. It allows for marital violence victims to expedite processes for child support, temporary custody of a child, temporary possession of property, and temporary spousal support. The bill's author is Representative Reagan Hatcher from Gary, Indiana. House Bill 1141 acknowledges that birth control is vital for women's health and ability to plan and control their lives. The bill would require that contraceptives be covered by insurance companies. Indiana businesses would provide birth control as part of their health care plans, but an exception would be made for nonprofit religious employers. The bill would also allow Indiana pharmacists to prescribe the contraceptive. The bill is authored by Rita Fleming of Jeffersonville and Terry Austin of Anderson. Representative Carrie Hamilton of Indianapolis authored House Bill 1226, which would make all feminine hygiene products exempt from state retail tax. Women make up 24% of legislators in Indiana's House and Senate. The national average is 5% more, at 29%. This year commemorates the 100th anniversary of women's right to vote in Indiana. For WFHB, I'm Rasha Kamhawi. You've been listening to the WFHB Local News. Today's headlines were written by Andrew McKeeran, Alex Dieter, Cade Young, Sydney Foreman, in partnership with CATS Community Access Television Services. Our feature was produced by Rasha Kamhawi. Our engineer today, Dan Withered. Theme music provided by Ben Lumsdane, Danny Graff, and Scott Schmadeke. For WFHB, this is Scott Weddle. And I'm Aaron, Aaron Wagermiller. Thanks for supporting Indiana's only volunteer-powered, listener-supported, independent local news program. You can be a part of our award-winning news team. Send inquiries to news at wfhb.org. Stay tuned for Hearabouts, Asian American Midwest Radio. Hearabouts is produced in partnership with the Asian Cultural Center on the campus of Indiana University Bloomington. That's Hearabouts, Asian American Midwest Radio, coming up next on WFHB. You've been listening to the Daily Local News on WFHB Bloomington Community Radio. 
Our news is written and reported by volunteers working to provide local news, cover local issues, and strengthen our local community. We invite you to participate. You may submit questions, comments, and story ideas to news at wfhb.org. You can become a daily local news volunteer by attending new volunteer orientation. You can find an archive of past shows and individual news reports online at wfhb.org and catch live broadcast of the daily local news Monday through Thursday at 5 p.m. We are local longer.